My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. The Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Honestly, when I look at the prize money in some of the events, the person winning it probably doesn't need it. Usually the folks who are, are winning are at these gravel events, they have sponsorships, they have bikes, they have this, they have that. And, you know, a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred, whatever it is, I think makes a greater impact being given to the volunteer fire department. I want to recapture what I found gravel to be when I started, you know, five years ago or six years ago, whatever that was. And I want to, I want to keep that. I want to keep the fun aspect of it. I, I yes, I want a lots of racing and the best racers. I don't want to lose the fun side of it. I, I don't want my event to be one in which folks are bickering over who stopped and who didn't stop. And you know, I, I don't want to hear those sorts, those sorts of stories in, in the cycling media or anything like that. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I'm your host, Ian Boswell, and back in the kitchen this morning. It's been a while. I'm here with my wife, Gretchen. Our puppy is at our feet, and our daughter is already off to childcare for the day. And we are still struggling to keep up with uh, our neighbor's cow. We've been getting raw milk for a couple weeks now. I think a couple weeks ago, I shared a recipe of some homemade yogurt and we're still trying to get through this milk well we definitely have a new carton of milk now but still trying to use the milk that we get from our neighbor so last night i looked up a recipe for something we have not cooked and turns out this is the first time gretchen has ever made this and it is a dutch baby which actually goes perfectly in today's podcast we'll get to that later but gretchen dutch baby tell me about it your first one but you said your mom used to make these frequently my mom would make them when we had bed and breakfast guests growing up. My mom rented one room in our house, and I would watch her make them. And I'm pretty sure I ate them, but I had never made one before. And it's very custardy. It takes four eggs. Our chickens are still pumping out eggs, and we are still using some apples from our tree. So there's one apple in it as well. It's kind of like a sweet quiche almost. You even put some maple syrup on yours. I took a few bites without maple syrup, but... Seeing that we have a lot of syrup, I'll probably spread some syrup on mine. So we're going to finish this up, and we're going to get ready for today's episode of Breakfast with Boz. And my guest is Fabian Seralta from Gravelocos. I met Fabian a few years ago at the Unbound 200 at the finish line. I'd heard about him prior to that, and ever since then, I've been fascinated and interested to get him on the podcast and hear a bit more about his backstory, how he got into gravel cycling, but also what he thinks about the current state of gravel cycling and the events that he puts on Gravel Locos. There are now two of those events, Heiko and Pueblo, Colorado. I guess the Heiko event is in Texas. But it wasn't until I had just pulled this uh, Dutch baby out of the oven that I realized it's a perfect breakfast for today's podcast. Because if any of you follow Lawrence Tendam or Fabian on social media, you will see that they're very close friends and 
in many ways, Fabian has become a father-like figure for Lawrence, who is now in his mid-40s and has two kids of his own. But uh, Fabian refers to Lawrence as his, his oldest son. So we are having a Dutch baby, and Fabian has a Dutch baby of his own. So without further ado, let's dive in to today's episode of Breakfast with Boz, connecting with my good friend, Fabian. All right, Fabian. Well, um, thanks for taking the time to join me. I know you're going to pick up your oldest adopted son from the Netherlands, Lawrence Tandam later, and not just him, but his whole, his whole family as well. His whole family, kids, everybody. Yeah. Well, I was, um, this is actually our second attempt. I had some, some technical difficulties, but we first met in 2021 at Unbound and we've seen each other numerous times at different events up here in Vermont, um, at Ted King's event. And then I guess most notably at, at your, I've been to two of your three events that you've put on the Gravel Locos this year in Heiko, Texas, and then most recently out in, in Pueblo, Colorado for the inaugural, uh, Pueblo, Colorado Heiko or, uh, Gravel Locos event. But I was out yes. riding, um, I think it was on the Friday, maybe the Thursday before Gravel Locos and Heiko. And I was just, you know, there's been a lot of change in the gravel community recently. You know, you started your first Gravel Locos and Heiko last year. It was the first time. And I guess it just dawned on me that you have come to this space. You're a very unique individual of just how you came here. Um, you know, when I look at a lot of the other event promoters, whether it's, you know, Ted King or myself, or, you know, my buddy here, Ansel Dickey or... You know, the folks that, you know, Pete Stetna puts on his own event and you are kind of the outlier in that group of, of individuals. You know, they all come from a cycling background or, you know, they used to be a racer or they worked in a bike shop. Um, so before we get into that, I just kind of want to go back to the beginning of really your journey into cycling. But even before that, your journey to the U.S. because you're very outspoken that you're Cuban. You're a Cuban-American and you're proud of it and you love it and you talk about it. Um so I guess just to start, you know, tell me a little bit, I mean, because we've met numerous times, but we've never really just sat down and talked about your life and your life experience and kind of what brought you to where you are today as one of the, you know, big event organizers for gravel racing here in the U.S. and events that are becoming recognized internationally. Well, yeah, I, as I said, yeah, I was born and raised in Cuba and uh, my mom and dad and uh, two brothers and a sister and our family, uh, uh, you know, we were there and things were all going well until about, you know, 1959 when Castro kind of took over and kind of took over and took everything away from pretty much all the businesses and stuff like that. Both Americans uh, had businesses over there and, and the Cuban businesses. He kind of took control over everything and things just kind of started going downhill. So my mom and dad, before they even had kids, you know, they, they made a few attempts to try and leave Cuba and were unsuccessful. Eventually they had four kids and uh, I was born, you know, in 72. So it wasn't until 1980 that they were able to get out of Cuba after about 20 years of applying and being denied. And really what got us out of there is that's a really long story. We probably need a whole podcast for that. But it was just uh, my dad's appreciation and love for cars that really was the vehicle that got us out of Cuba. Uh, so a second, a general second in command of Castro found out about my dad's little British collection of cars. And he himself had acquired a British collection of cars that used to belong to an American businessman. Uh, so when Castro took over, they, they kicked this man out of his house and they took his house and his cars. But anyways, those uh, all those British cars that this general had weren't running. They weren't working. And 
he found out that my father knew how to make them run. So he kind of borrowed my dad for about four or five months. And I went there with him every day. And my dad fixed every single car for this general. And he uh, basically said to my dad, you know, what can I do in return? And, you know, my dad said, get me the heck out of here. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day it was like 3.30 in the morning and we were woken up. Nobody, we didn't know anything. The kids didn't know anything. And we went, you know, they said, grab your stuff. And there were some military folks there and they loaded us up in the car and we weren't allowed to bring our toys or our clothes or our dog or anything. It was the weirdest thing. And they took us to an airport. And, you know, a few hours later, we were in an airplane. And next thing you know, we're in Miami, Florida. Uh, there's a long story behind all of yeah. that. Yeah, and we don't need to dive into to all of it. We'll try to keep it. We'll try to we'll try to keep it on topic of of cycling and and you know yeah. gravel racing. But I think it's I think it's a context of kind of your story to you know to where you are now. Um, so you grew up in Florida, and then I guess one thing that I find so you know unique with with gravel racing is that it's so different to gravel events. They're so different than traditional road cycling, and people come come to the space from all different you know backgrounds or interests. You know, how did you first get involved in, you know, I know you still have a car collection, still something that you, you love, but you also have this love and appreciation of, of bikes and, and gravel bikes in particular. When did you find gravel racing or gravel events for the first time? Well, the, the bikes, my first bike, uh, when we, you know, after we were here from Cuba, there was a, a Miami store called cycle cycle world. They're actually still there. And as a kid, you know, we didn't have any money. So they are the ones that got me started uh, with BMX. And I used to race for their team. And they provided me with equipment and, and all sorts of stuff that my parents couldn't afford. So that was my first uh, experience with dirt. It was BMX. And uh, in 2015, I was visiting my son in college in Colorado. And I walked into a specialized store. And there was this weird looking thing it looked like a road bike but it had mountain bike tires and i had no idea what it was and it was a, a crux and uh so i asked about it and they said oh yeah it's a cross bike i'm like what the heck is a cross bike and i said well i don't you know i didn't even know what cyclocross was i was riding road but i wasn't you know i wasn't really involved in as far as uh, the other sports and uh, i was also riding mountain bike at the time so i I bought this bike because at right around that time, I had uh, actually about four years prior to that, I had purchased a ranch in Oklahoma and the driveway is, I don't know, a few miles of gravel. And then the nearest paved road is another 10 miles. So it really kept me from bringing my road bikes up there every time I was up there. And this crux thing that I had never seen before, it was like the perfect bike. So I, uh, I purchased it. They shipped it over to my bike shop friends over in, in Texas. They built it for me and I signed up for the first gravel event. I think it was October the 1st. Yes, 2016. And I showed up with this crux and uh, I was accustomed to running tubulars on my road bikes at 120 PSI. So I figured I was going to do the smart thing and lower the PSI on my tires to 95 on the crux. So I show up with 700 by 33 C's pumped up the 95 psi with expecting it to be kind of like a, a road rally event where they probably have eight stations and all sorts of help and it was a miserable time <laughs> it was 50 miles and i got so beat up i had no idea it was going to be that hard there were no aid station i was starving no food no water i, I ran out of everything in 50 miles and i never thought it was going to take that long to do 50 miles on a bike 
but by the end of it, I was like, I'd rather give birth than do this again, you know? It was just a horrible, horrible experience. And then I found out later on that, yeah, maybe 33 stars or 33 stars aren't the greatest. And 95 PSI is definitely not a good idea. But, I, you know, I found some folks that were also riding gravel. It's, it's early on, 2015, 2016, and, and they kind of, you know, showed me some of the things to do and not do and and that was really my start into gravel was uh that first bike i still have it yeah well and i yeah. guess you know i mean what led you from because you know the first event you put on the first gravel locos was last year in heiko uh last may in 2021 you know what was the catalyst i mean was this experience that you had at your first gravel event a catalyst to put on your own event when you saw like you know that there weren't food at the aid stations you know it was there's maybe information that you didn't know about the event was that kind of a catalyst to like hey i could i can do this myself and make a, yeah, make a better you event know, after that event i did many others i would sign up for every event i did events in california i did events in, in other states uh i even rode a little gravel in scotland and that was the thing that bugged me the most that I felt like, you know, this is a great sport. This is a fun sport. It was really people were in shorts or T-shirts or all kitted out, shaved legs, hairy legs. I mean, hybrids, mountain bikes, road bikes with, you know, gravel bikes. It was really like this, this sport that really, to me, anybody can do it. But I felt that, you know, not having aid stations and not having SAG vehicles and that type of assistance was keeping a lot of beginners out of it and keeping people that would have, you know, would like to try it out, but were afraid. I mean, because, you know, I always say this, you know, the best thing about gravel is that you're out in the middle of nowhere and you hardly ever see a car, you hardly ever see a house, at least in Texas. But that's what makes it dangerous because, you know, most of the time we don't have cell reception and there, if you have a mechanical, if you get hurt, if you fall, whatever. I mean, there's no help. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that this whole idea of self-supportive i think is great but i think it's harder for a beginner to take on something that you know you have to be self-supportive and you have to you know have your own stuff and then there's some events that i've done that you know they're designated areas that you have crew there for you but you know not everybody has that not everybody has specialized waiting for them there or trek or canyon or a family member you know some you know you know there's you could be a female rider and, and maybe your husband can't be out there to crew for you because you've got a couple of kids and he's got to watch them, you know? So yeah. It, it made it hard, I think, to for some of us and a lot of people that just either don't have somebody to crew for them or somebody who's just not feeling comfortable about being out there for 100 miles or more without aid stations or SAG vehicles or some kind of help should you need it. So that's kind of what prompted me to start an event that had all that support that I thought would help beginners and those that were thinking about trying it, you know, be more willing to jump in and give it a try. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of things that, you know, with more events popping up, there's a lot of things people don't always think about, you know, having a mechanic at the start, you know, you think that, you know, most people, mm -hmm. they show up and their bike is in working order, but some people like 
they forget to pump up their tires or they, you know, they're, and just having that additional support there. And I guess oftentimes, you know, sometimes what do people say? Like the best coaches are people who maybe didn't necessarily make it to the highest level because they over, they don't think about those things. You know, if, you know, Ted and Pete and I put on an event, we know how we show up for a race with our equipment and our nutrition and we pack everything. But someone who's a beginner may not necessarily have that same level of experience where they show up and they're like, oh, wait, I forgot food. My bottles aren't full yet. I'm already on the start line. You know, all these little things that they may not think about that, you know, I guess you have, you bring a perspective of like, hey, when I went to my first event, what did I need that wasn't there? Or, you know, kind of experiencing these events. And so when you put together the first Gravel Locos and Heiko in 2021, you also set it up the first year as a really unique event um, for a number of reasons. One, it was by donation, but there were a lot of kind of marquee riders that showed up to the event. I think the timing, you know, it's good weather in Texas in May. You know, people are kind of making their way towards the middle of the U.S. for, you know, various events that time of year and Unbound. Um, but you did your event by donation, but it also it was a, a fundraiser for the Volunteer Fire Department, which means a lot to me being on the Volunteer Fire Department here in Peachum. Um, but that's yes. kind of something you have made a tradition through all the events. How did that come about? The first event, you know, being in particularly in Heiko, which isn't exactly where you live, but also mm-hmm. then connecting with the the Volunteer Fire Department there. Well, you know, I, I you know, so I started the the whole thing about Gravel Locals back in 2019. In 2020, I was going to have an event, and Heiko gave me permission to have the event, but I decided to cancel it because every other event got canceled, and I just felt like, you know, you're going to be a jerk and have an event when nobody else can have one. Uh, our area, it was, you know, Heiko's out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing, you know, the, the towns around it are, you know, 60 habitants or maybe 800. So that's, it's an area that's really out in the middle of nowhere. But I, I chose not to have the event in 2020. But I did spend a lot of time between 2019, 2020, just trying to get uh, support from the bike industry. And it just, I wasn't really very successful at it. Uh, And I was reaching out saying, look, I'm going to have an event that's going to be capped at 1,200. It's going to be free to every participant. They're going to have SAG vehicles. They're going to have eight, six, eight stations. They're going to have post ride this and SAG and uh, swag and t-shirts and bottles and all these things. And all I'm going to ask the participants, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to fund the event. So I'm not asking for money or anything like that. What I need is exposure. I need, you know, the bike industry to help me get the word out. And that didn't really go very well. So what helped me to get attention uh, for the event and for the Heiko Volunteer Fire Department was that it was a free event, you know, 1,200 people, all this support. Uh, I had all these pros that were coming. So, you know, I was modeling the event after, you know, like a lifetime event where you have all these pros and and such. And then you have all these other amateurs and aspiring pros and beginners. But the difference was that it was going to be free. So that helped because that allowed a lot of people to participate. A A lot of people that had never done it, try it out. It got the attention of a lot of publications, cycling publications. And that's how I was able to get the word out was through all these cycling publications. Velo News uh, found out about it, Betsy Welch, uh, Cycling News, Bicycling News, GCN uh, spoke about it. And then the, you know, guys like Ted and Pete and Lawrence and and Allison and Jess Sarah and, and all these other writers started talking about it. And that really was instrumental in helping the event grow. Now, what the participants had to do, they didn't have to do it. What I asked was, look, this event will be free. You don't have to pay a penny. I just asked that you go to, to these uh, 
GoFundMe account that was set up by the volunteer fire department and make a donation. You know, whatever you think it's worth, make a donation. Uh, we had about 1,200 folks registered and I think less than 400 donated anything. Wow. Uh, so that was a little bit of a shock. And, you know, I think we were trying to raise $85,000. And I think we ended up getting about 53,000 donations. You know, to host the event, it was over $85,000. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I could have just bought the fire truck and given it to them <laughs> and avoided all the trouble <laughs> of uh, setting up an event. But, you know, it, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from it. And then 2022, I didn't want to do that model again. So I went with a registration fee and we had more people sign up. And it was an event that you were paying for, just like any other. And instead of 1,200, we had almost 1,600. We had 1,576 registered. Yeah. Uh, and we were able to, so in 2021, we bought the fire truck for the fire department. And in 2022, we added almost 3,000 square feet to the station with, uh, a lounge area, a meeting area, a second story, more space for the vehicle. So, you know, that's where the money went. That's where the registration fees went. And that's what we do. And Pueblo, we're doing the same thing. We're using the event as a way to fund all the needs of the department in Pueblo. As you know, they don't have running water. They don't have indoor bathrooms. They don't have anything. Uh, and, you know, they don't even have enough room for all their vehicles. And most of their vehicles, you know, they probably belong in my car barn as antiques that are really that old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they're definitely, I mean, I guess I know the equipment we have here in, in Peachum and we have, you know, a, a new tanker and a new engine, but our, our rescue one vehicle's old and we're, you know, looking at, at updating it and it's, that stuff's not inexpensive and, you know, no, I mean, it's yeah, it's, it, it, it costs a pretty penny. Um, well, and I guess what you've built now is you have built this, you know, this event, you know, especially when you look at, you know, Heiko will be coming up on its third year. I'm sure that, you know, you're going to sell out, the event's going to sell out again. Yes. Um, you know, but this year you also expanded to, to Pueblo and I had the chance to go out there and, and I told you this, I think at the last aid station, I was like, this is the most, it's the most dynamic and like beautiful course I had seen in gravel. Because one thing I realized in a lot of these events, you, know, you have beautiful courses, you know, there's something about, you know, unbound that's uniquely beautiful, but it's, it's all Kansas Prairie, or you come to an event in Vermont and it's beautiful and you have gorgeous scenes and sights, but it's all in one kind of ecosystem. There's not really any variety of, you know, different, um, you know, landscape. And one thing mm -hmm. I found in Pueblo was that, you know, we started down in this high, you know, kind of high prairie. It was kind of a high desert. And then before you know it, we're up at 10,000 feet up in the mountains and there's aspen trees and lakes. I'm like, whoa, I've never seen this much variety in one yes. gravel race. And, you know, being up there in the mountains, I'm like, this is amazing. Then I was like, wow, we're going to go back down and finish in downtown Pueblo. It's so, it's so different than where we are now, which is really cool. You oftentimes don't see that in, in these gravel events. You know, how did you bring your event or I guess your kind of enterprise of Gravel Locos to Pueblo, which is also a place that you don't, you don't live? You know, I, I, I found out that they wanted to have a gravel event and they were trying to get somebody to come on and do a gravel event and they even... Uh, bid did a bid process uh, to get an event, but I guess they they weren't successful. There, another city in the area outbidded them, and so they got the event. And you know that kind of bugged me a little bit. It's like, hey, there's got to be a way to have an event there, and, and there's all this great gravel. So I went out and I visited uh, last year, I think it was yeah, last year. Fell in love with the area and saw the potential. Met with the city, with the mayor, uh, with the chamber of commerce. 
And they were just so stoked about doing an event. We really want to showcase our city and we don't want our city to be uh, a place that people just drive by, don't even stop. We want to show folks that, hey, there's a lot to do in Pueblo. It's, you know, it's not just a steel city. And so I, I agreed and I, you know, I'm just so glad that I did because the routes are amazing over there. The, the gravel, the town has, you know, all the support that you need for an event. It's, you know, it's a hundred thousand, you know, population, but it really feels like a small town. Uh, and just the, the desire of the leadership of the city to want to have an event and their willingness to help and make this happen, knowing that I'm, you know, 12, 13 hour drives away. And then the fire department, when I found out, you know, I said, well, I need a volunteer fire department because this is the whole thing behind Gravel Locals. Well, we want you to come visit the Red Creek. And I did. And I was just shocked at the vehicles, the age of the vehicles. They're all le leaking fluid. And I mean, it was to me, it's just a shocker that we allow all these volunteer fire departments nationwide to operate with hand-me-down gear, hand-me-down masks, hand-me-down vehicles, hand-me-down everything. And we're sending them into fires that are no different from the fires of the departments that are well-equipped and well-funded, you know. But yet, you know, we're, we're giving these volunteer fire departments, you know, the older equipment, the older masks, the older suits and all that stuff. And that just has always bugged me. And because, you know, when you're out there riding gravel and you get hurt or something happens, it's going to be a volunteer fire department is going to come out and help you. That's who's out there. And to me, it's just logical that gravel shouldn't, you know, give back to the volunteer fire departments. They are our first responders uh, because the reality is when you're out there riding in these rural areas, that's who's manning those posts. That's who's in charge of that entire area. Uh, and I said, yes, and I don't regret it. I loved it. And we already have a date for next year and uh, we're headed back to Pueblo. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, and you make a good point. I mean, it, it's, you know, being on the fire department here in Peach and we also have, e we run EMS as well. And I guess people maybe don't realize that, you know, on the day that we did our event here in Peachum, we had two EMS folks just like sitting in the station all day. I mean, they were, they're painting the, the bathroom because they wanted to do something while they're waiting. And thankfully they didn't need to be called, but that's like, it was like a yeah. beautiful Saturday and you just have two people waiting there. Cause I know there's a bike event. They want to be there, you know, and, and ready if, if there is an incident and people oftentimes don't realize that that's, I mean, if, you know, I'm not, I'm not EMS, so I, you know, wouldn't respond to, to many of those calls, but yeah, there are people around the country that, you know, show up at two in the morning or on Saturday or on Christmas Eve for, you know, a fire or someone fell down the stairs or whatever it is. And they don't always realize, you know, that these people are taking time out of their lives for no pay and oftentimes yes. putting themselves at risk, you know, just because they want to be a helpful member, member of the community. I mean, they're working full-time jobs and the days in that, that they should probably be resting, they're working another job for no pay. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, the sacrifices and, and the things that they do and, and the little recognition that they get. Uh, so, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do at Gravel Oak. It's just kind of bring some awareness that there's hundreds of these departments all over the, the, the U.S. And these are folks that are working for free. They're, they're, they have full-time jobs. And on their days off or their evenings off, this is what they do. Uh, and sometimes it's they're putting in more hours as a volunteer than they do as with their regular full-time jobs because of some of these brush fires that some of the stuff goes on for days yeah days weeks as, as we know yeah well so when you you know having done this event in pueblo having done two editions of of Heiko, 
you know, I'm also curious to see what have you learned through this process. And I guess that's another thing that I find, you know, because you and I speak, you know, I guess throughout the year, just about, you know, different events and kind of organizational stuff. Um, but you also come to the world of, of cycling with a different kind of perspective. You know, you're, you're a business owner, you've, you know, built up your own, you know, businesses completely outside of cycling. And you've come to this industry and this like kind of niche market that is like very unique and it's very kind of strange in a way. I mean, it, for me, it seems like it operates normal, but I don't, I've never worked in a different industry. So I don't really know the, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, the things that work well and the things that don't work well. And I think that's one thing that's allowed your events to be so, you know, unique and also successful is that you've come with a different mindset and a different perspective. What have you seen through putting together, I guess, three events now, the things that work well in cycling and the things that you also think could change in other events or just, you know, the industry as a whole going forward? I think probably the biggest thing is that from the time that I started riding gravel uh, in, I think, what, 2015, 2016, I've seen a change that I don't like. And I've seen the focus go from let's get together, have fun, to this really taking ourselves way too seriously. And it's kind of becoming this race, 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 price money, price money, race, 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 you know. And to me, that's fine if you want to do that. But I don't want to lose the fun aspect of gravel. Uh, one of the things that I do with my event is, look, I, you know, I'm fortunate that I've been able to go to a lot of events. I've been able to participate in VIP type gatherings where I get to meet folks like yourself and Ted and Pete and Allison. And that's a lot of fun, but not everybody can afford to do that. So one of the things that I wanted with Gravel Locals was to have the world's best gravel cyclist, you know, men and women, but have them be accessible to everybody else, to the, the up and coming kids, to the you know, folks aspiring to be a pro, to the retired guy that has been riding gravel. And that's something that you all have agreed to do and you all do. I mean, you, you make yourselves available after the race to mingle and talk with the kids and do selfies and hang out with them and drink a beer. And that's something that I think, you know, it's really valuable for the fans and, and the kids and, and everybody that wants to get involved uh, to have access to you guys. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me and say, man, Ted is so cool. I got to take a selfie with him. <laughs> and they, I mean, they just go on and on about telling you about this. So that's something that to me is crucial. I've been at events where, you know, after the race, the, they grab the winner and, uh, and the cameras and the videos and, you know, the regular people can't even access them. There's barricades and there's security and, you know, and I, I it almost just becomes like the tour de France, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just don't like that. I, I feel like gravel should be accessible and that we should have access to talk to you all and get a selfie and, and be respectful of your space and your time. But that's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to me to be able to, to talk to you all you know i've watched you when you were pros and and then to see you now and if it's a big deal to me it's an even bigger deal to a young kid or young girl uh that's into gravel so i'm trying to capture that trying trying to keep it not so serious i don't do price money i've had some pros that have literally told me uh if you did price money you would get more pros showing up and i'm like well i don't want those pros you know yeah. it's Gravel was not about price money. It was about showing up with your buddies. There was beer and there was music and, you know, it was, and then 
one of the things that I don't want is any kind of bickering or fighting or or anything amongst the front of the group, you know, the pros. So that's why I have this, you know, these mandatory stops. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to find out that, hey, you know, so-and-so didn't stop and he kept going and everybody else stopped. So he got, you know, it just, it takes away from the event. So I know that some folks don't like the mandatory stops, but to me, they work well because, you know, I'm, I'm monitoring it and the front group stops at two aid stations and, and I'm really strict about it. No, you can't go. You got to wait until everybody gets their bottles filled and gets their food. And then we go, uh, you know, we don't want people just taking advantage and, and taking off and gaining any time on the others. Because again, it's, if it's about community and if it's about being inclusive and it's about having fun, the racing part of it. Yeah, it's great, but that's, that's not the priority here. Uh, and so, you know, I've had folks say, well, well, why do you have so many pros there then? I said, again, I, I want them there because the kids want to see him and the yeah. fans want to see him. And there's a lot to be learned from it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's one thing I've learned is like, you know, for example, people in my situation who have, you know, raced their bike for the majority of their life, like I have a lot of experience and it's really hard to always share that knowledge unless you're like with someone and you're riding in a group and you say, Hey, like, you know, try this or do this, or, you know, like make yeah. sure to eat and drink. It's just little things that happen out there. And I think that's one thing. And I guess kind of why I wanted to speak to you on for this podcast is that I found so, you know, inspiring is that you've kind of come to this space. I don't want to say late, but you, 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 you haven't been in gravel cycling or event organizing for the last 20 years. You, no, no, you, kind of, you, you kind of hit it right at the, you know, kind of at this golden era of gravel racing and you wanted to, and you want to keep that. And I, and that's one thing that I've noticed these other events, they've kind of like, you know, the competitive edge has become more, it's overtaking a lot of events where it's like, oh my gosh, this is stressful. The athletes are stressed before the event, you know, and I can come to, you know, Pueblo or Heiko and, you know, this year in, in Heiko, you know, my family came down and it was like so much fun to just like, you know, I'm always experiencing these cool places, but like, it's not always fun for my wife to come if it's like, I'm stressed and I, you know, can't actually engage with her or she can't meet my friends. And like, that's one thing you've yeah. cultivated is this environment where yes, we can go race hard, but we can enjoy it. We can relax afterwards, you know? And, and I think it's one thing that was worked so well this year at, at Heiko that you implemented in Pueblo as well was this mandatory stop. And it's like, you know, yeah. the, cause there's always these argy bargy, you know, like what's going to happen. Are people going to wear hydration packs? Or are they not? Who's going to stop? It's like, Cool. We're gonna have friends on the side of the road handling handling them bottles and yeah you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Heiko it was super hot, and you know some people. I mean, you also have to think about the safety. Some people might think, oh, yeah. right, you know what, I can skip this and make it to the next one. It's like, well, that's another fifty miles, and it's like a hundred degrees outside. Like, you probably should stop. And even it was funny to see the first, you know, when you first implemented this, the first rest stop at Heiko. Still a big group. It was fifty people. Some people got there a little bit before, filled up their bottles, and they're like, all right, I gotta go. And it's like, this is like a just human right to be able to drink water like like yes. don't you were just there like everyone just stop relax like let's let everyone fill up the bottle we have 110 miles to go you know you're not going to win the race right now but like the racing yes. will sort itself out anyways you don't need to take yeah. advantage of each other filling up your water bottle yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had somebody at pueblo that got mad and and left his bottle there he didn't want to wait so i'm like dear lord i mean it's this is gravel. This is supposed to be fun. And you wanted somebody in the front group. So I literally filled this bottle with flow formula, put it in my truck and chased the group down and handed it to him. And he didn't even say, thank you. I'm like, whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I, yeah. Two seconds uh, that you could have waited 
are not going to make a difference. You're not going to win this. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. It's like everyone's, everyone's stopping. And, and I think, you know, as the sport does become more competitive, it's little reminders like that, like, you know, cause people do get this mindset when they're in the race and they're trying to like, you know, get an advantage over, you know, their competition at every possible moment, whether it's on a climb or a downhill or an aid station, it's like an aid station should not be a moment when you're trying to f- take an advantage of your competition. It's like, this should be like a neutral zone. Everyone get yeah. what they need and we can restart all together. Yeah. I think it also just brings back this. I think one time some things we kind of lose when you're just fully racing constantly is you lose this human element of like, Hey, these are my friends, you know? Yeah. Like, and and that's one thing that I think it's so easy to lose sight of is that like, I want to hang out with all these, you know, riders around me afterwards and talk about it. And, you know, this year at Locos, you've handed me a tall boy of Coors Light at the finish. And we just sat on the curb for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. just talking about the race. I'm like, this is what it, this is what it's about. And this is what I love about it and why I came to the sport and why I continue to do it. And especially events like this, that just embody this, sense of like you know a shared experience mm-hmm. yeah you know one of the things that that i also bugged me a little bit was this from you know experience of talking to a few of you before i before i even had my my first gravel event uh i found out from a couple of the pros that come to the event you know what do you do when you get there on thursday well just kind of find something to do and it seemed like there was nothing going on for the for the racers, the, the, the pros, the, the, you know, the folks that are the, what uh, Betsy calls the pointy end. Uh, and I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to get them to congregate and have fellowship, you know, and that's where the whole Thursday evening thing at my car barn thing came from. You know, I wanted to have a space for you guys and girls to just come and hang out and drink beer and eat food and talk and network. And who knows, maybe you you help each other with sponsorship then and or you talk about trips and you coordinate hey you know i was looking for a ride and you can help me get there and so thursday evening at my car barn really the focus of that is to get the pros you know together just in a non-competitive friendly fun environment and, and, I, and I always want the families you know the spouses and the kids the friday morning ride is the same thing it's just let's ride bikes together it's non-competitive we're going to eat later on you know cook whatever and then Friday night, you know, again, another opportunity before the race for you guys to and girls to get together, eat some food, have a drink. And the next day, yes, you're going to race and you're going to, you know, try and beat each other to the finish or whatever it is. And that's fine. But balance it out with the, the Thursday evening, the Friday morning, the Friday evening for you guys just to hang out and and, and just be friends and share stories and help each other and hey look you know my brand is looking for another rider whatever it is i, I think it's a, an opportunity that is uh you know non-competitive and the purpose of it is just you know i i don't really make any money because not not everybody you know you don't get that many people signing up for those vip events because they're not they're not cheap and that's intentional uh it's really trying to find a space for for the pros to have a fun time together, get to know about each other, talk about each other's families uh, or in business too. You can have conversations about business uh, in a non-competitive setting and competitive setting. And I think that it works. I've had positive feedback about it. And I think that it, it creates a, a different mood on Saturday on race day. Cause you know, you've, you've been hanging out together for a few days, eating and drinking and having fun. And now we're going to race. But I really do feel like that, that those who attend, those event and I won't, you know, it's free to all the pros. Uh, and I invite all of them. Those that attend, I feel that, you know, they get something positive out of it. And and I think that they're 
whole mood on Saturday race day, it's a little different. I think it's a little more positive. Yeah. And it definitely changes the, you know, the, the whole week, you know, the whole weekend, or I guess, you know, sometimes more than a weekend. And that's one thing that I've noticed a lot this year is, you know, with, with the riders, I guess I'm, I'm really close with in the, in like, I guess the elite or pro category, you know, someone like Pete or Ted or, you know, Keel, you know, we'll, we'll be texting each other like, Hey, I can't wait to see you this weekend. And we'll go to an event and we won't even see each other. You know, we'll speak for 30 seconds on the bike and that's it. And like, we're not accomplishing anything. We're not like connecting. It's just like, okay, well, hopefully I'll see you at the next event. And, you know, that was one thing I enjoyed, you know, in particular with, with Pueblo is, you know, I was there from Thursday to Sunday and I got to like actually sit down and catch up with, you know, friends who, you know, some of them I hadn't seen in a while, some, you know, some we'd been racing together all year, but I didn't actually ever really speak to them other than, you know, some text messages or a phone call here and there, but to actually sit down, have a beer with them, enjoy. And I think that like, you know, a lot of these are gravel, these gravel events, like it's, it's more about the whole experience rather than just the race, you know, the race and the event, like that's a huge part of the, you know, yes. the weekend. But if you can make it about, you know, multiple days of getting together with people and hanging out and, you know, you build these relationships. And I think it's also great, you know, the, the hangout afterwards, because then everyone has a shared experience. You know, everyone rode the course, whether they did the, you know, the short route or the long route, you know, they've all were, uh, they're all out there together and to be able to just sit down afterwards and talk to each other, you know, that's where those connections are made. That's when people ask questions and they feel a little bit more kind of open and willing to, you know, discuss things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the post race, you know, in the past I've been asked, don't you want to have like a VIP tent for the pros to go to post race, like their own space? I'm like, no, I want them out amongst everybody because that's, what's fun about, you know, having you guys amongst all the regular folks like myself and all the, the kids and the beginners and the aspiring racers to be able to get a picture with you, to talk to you, ask your question about bike brands or whatever it is that they, you know, and you all have been really good about that. Like I said earlier, I mean, I get so much praise about that, man. It's so great that I got to meet so-and-so. I got to meet Allison. I got to talk to her. I got to talk to Ian and, and kill and, Alex, he was so cool. You know, all these folks that they're accustomed that have been watching and following to be able to hang out with them post race. And you all will, you know, you finish before everybody else and you're there till 11 o'clock at night hanging around with everybody else, you know? Yeah. And I love the racing part. I, I love the racing aspect of it. I love having these great retired pros and current pros and aspiring pros. But I also love being out there for the last people you know the last riders and you know we do the top five in several categories but we also have the top five the last top five uh and you know to me i, I can identify with that because i'm not fast i'm not even in the middle of the pack and there's been many events like ted's event and laura's event i was the last person everybody was gone by the time i got there and jess sarah uh her event you know, I was the last one in Montana. So to me, uh, you know, I, I had this rule that I don't have a cutoff time. I myself, I'm, I'm often the last one. And I would hate to work and train and have my family there to support me. And I get turned around because I didn't make it by 30 minutes or I didn't make it by an hour or whatever it is. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, just train and know that we're going to be out there. We're going to have side vehicles. We're going to have eight stations and nobody's going to go away until you're done. Uh, there is no cutoff time. I don't care how long it takes. You know, in Heiko this year, the last five came in after midnight, and we were out there with food and drinks, and you know, with their trophies. We also do trophies. You know, I, I make I make the trophies with a 
so I, you know, I had trophies for them as well. Uh, so yeah, the it's really important to me to have you all, the pros there, but also to be there for the last folks as well. Because you know, the whole idea behind gravel is you're celebrating the front of the group and you're celebrating the back of the group. I mean, and everybody in between. And I, I feel that when there's cutoff times, you lose that. You know, it's, it's, you know, this idea of community inclusiveness shouldn't you know if we have to be out there an extra three hours for somebody to finish let it be why yeah. not yeah well and i guess that's one thing that i guess i've found coming to gravel and you know going to more events over the last two years is like the spectrum of people who ride bikes you know i think for a lot of people in my situation we came from this very narrow background of what cycling was it was the best athletes in the world at peak performance with the best equipment nutrition all this stuff and you kind of don't realize that like some people are riding their bike for you know two hours a week at 10 miles an hour. And that is cycling to them. And that, yes. you know, but, but we, I mean, in, in my mind before I was like, well, that they're not even cyclists, but as I've like, yeah. as I've done more, you know, gravel events and seen people of all different, you know, abilities and, you know, different equipment, I'm like, wow, we're all out here together. And like that shared experience, you know, to see that person who finishes at, you know, 1230 in the, in the morning, it's like, holy shit, they did the whole, yeah. you know, and yeah. they, they had a way harder day than I had. You know, I may have done it faster, but I've been, I've showered, I've eaten dinner twice already. You know, I've gotten ice cream and they're still out there pedaling. It's like we, and I think that's really cool. Hours I mean, later. Yeah, exactly. That you celebrate that. And because, you know, for those people, that is, that is their day. That's their moment. And that's what that's, they've been preparing you know, for. You know, I would say that my favorite events that I've ever done have been the ones that I was on. I was either almost the last or, or the last, you know, route of Vermont. I was the last person. I just thought I, I had never ridden in Vermont. What a beautiful place to ride in. Uh, the last best ride in Montana, Whitefish. I was the last person. Uh, but my other, uh, one of my events that I'm the most proud of was 2020 mid South. Uh, it was cold. It was raining. It was, there was you know, a little bit of snow. There was a little bit of, uh, you know, the weather was just terrible. And I think there was like 2000 or so registered and less than 900 started. I think it was. And of those 900, less than 400, I think finished. And I was one of those. And it took me 14 hours and 30 something minutes to complete that event. It was a hundred miles. And you would ride for a mile or two and you'd have to stop and clean your bike, take the mud off fix things i mean it was just a it was insane it was cold i mean it was just it was the hardest thing one of the hardest things i've ever done but yet i'm so proud of having done that and that and finishing and being allowed to finish and i remember you know i came in at 14 hours and 30 something minutes and my family was there waiting for me and uh i got the hug from from bobby and i have the pictures and and i always talk about that event as being one of my most memorable ones and you know, the folks that finish in Heiko at 12 something in the morning or the ones that finish in Pueblo, the last ones, you know, they're proud of that, even if their average was nine miles an hour or eight, whatever it was. And, you know, they work full time jobs and that's all they can do. And maybe just ride twice a week or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and they, and they remember that forever. You know, like, yeah, like I said, oftentimes it's, yeah, it's the worst. It's yeah. the worst day in the moment. The worst experience is oftentimes the best memories down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you got... I'm doing Mid South again, and uh, I did it in 2020, so I'm going to do it in 2023. And uh, it's been my my. Uh, I guess I need to kick myself in the butt because in the time that I started Gravel Locals 
and running two businesses, running Gravel Locos. And I went from riding seven, 8,000 miles a year to zero, and I've gained 60-something pounds. So Mid-South is my goal to uh, regain my health and my riding fitness again, hopefully. But yeah. uh, it's gonna be a, <laughs> it will be interesting. You know, I've got a few months to get ready for it, but uh, I sort of, uh, I'm happy that I signed up for it. And I really, I need something to kick me in the butt and get me back on the bike. And it's really hard. You know, this whole event promoting thing, as you know, you do your own event. It just takes up a lot of time. And then, of course, I added a second one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, I, I got to find time for myself. But the, uh, like I said, you know, being able to finish Mid-South in 2020, that was just huge for me. And, and I'm sure it's huge for the person that came in first. But it's just as big of a deal for the last person. Yeah. Well, I mean, so kind of looking ahead to next year, you do have the the two events and you already have dates actually. Heiko, Texas is May 20th and then Pueblo yes. is September 30th. Are uh-huh. you looking at expanding at all beyond the two events or does that keep you plenty busy to put two events? I do. On? I want to have a, a, I'd like to add a, a third event and I've, I've got an area that I'd like to do it at and all that. I just, it's so hard we you know we're running the medical business and running the commercial uh, real estate stuff and then gravel locos haiku and then gravel locos pueblo and really what what i've done by doing all that is you know i've kind of ignored my health and my fitness and my and my time to ride so uh, you know i don't i think the last time i rode my bike was february of this year uh so it's it's one of those things that I want to do it because I know there's great needs in in a lot of these uh, volunteer fire departments, and I found one that could really use the help. But it's just, you know, do I do it next year or do I try and take care of myself and get back to riding and lose these sixty something pounds I gained from not riding, and maybe shoot for 2024? And I think that's probably one I'm going to have to just be disciplined about it and say, you know, wait until 2024. Yeah, so there, there's one in mind. Yeah, well, I mean, two events is is a lot to put on, especially with you know, Heiko, you know, being a being a big event, and I'm sure next year Pueblo will be even bigger than it was this year. So you've got plenty on your plate, and I'm sure um, you know it'll probably bring you a lot of mental happiness to get back on your bike. I know for me, you know, around our event, I tend to ride less as well, and then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I can just ride my bike again, even if it's just for an hour. I'm like, oh, I can just get out and get some fresh air, get moving. It, it makes all the makes all the difference. And then my, my old cars, they miss me. I, I, I don't get to, you know, go and restore them and fix them and work on them like I used to. So, you know, you, you give up a lot of time. You give up time with your family. You give up time with your for your own health and your riding and, and your hobbies. So it, it really does take a lot of time. You know, like Pueblo, Pueblo was tough. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, we have very small staff. Again, we're not from the area. I don't I don't know anybody. Uh, not, and we had more volunteers signed up and unfortunately not all of them showed up. So at the end of the day, I think we had like 10 volunteers for that entire event. Wow. And myself and Robert Parker and Jose, who, uh, who uh, works at my ranch, he came up last minute and, uh, Eric also helped out, but it was like a tiny little group of us that were able to pull that off. But yeah, it's, and, uh, you know, my, my buddies are like, this is insane. How are we going to do this? And then one of them was like, I'm not worried. 
somehow Fabian will make this happen. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it done. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean that's just <laughs> that's, yeah, that's I mean that's just you in a in a nutshell. I guess the Saturday morning, um, or right. sorry, Friday morning before Pueblo, I went outside. I was gonna go walk and get a coffee, and you're out there putting new tires and sealant on, on Lawrence's bike. And then Saturday after the event, I was at the the brewery hanging out and we walked back to the hotel and sure enough, you, and I'm sure a couple other folks had like taken down all the, the finish, yeah. you know, the arches and the fencing. I was like, where the heck did all that go? You know, people didn't right finish now. that long ago and it just, yeah, you'd like, done it. You know, we're, yeah, we, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I tell people like our, you know, especially our Heiko event is strategically, two weeks before unbound because I, you know, it, it's been called uh, the last opportunity to test your legs against the best before unbound. So really, you know, we have similar terrain, similar weather, uh, similar elevation gain. So it's, and it's two weeks before unbound. So you've got plenty of time to recover. We get a lot of folks from Europe coming to Heiko that also do unbound. So it's a, you know, it's a, a perfect two weeks for them to spend riding and training and uh, if 2021 and 2020 and 2022 are any indication, you know, whoever wins Unbound, it's going to be a Gravel Locos. Uh, and you know, if you look at the top five, top 10 at Unbound in, in 21 and 2022, they were all at Heiko. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, this, you know, last year, uh, Lawrence was second to you and, you know, he was at Heiko. And this year, Ivar won. Uh, unbound and he was in the top five in Heiko. So, you know, we, we do have this great group of pros that come and they utilize Heiko event as a last chance to test their legs before unbound. But that's kind of where the similarities stop, you know? Yeah. We don't have we don't have the you know like if we were a major if we were a baseball team, we would be the sandlot. You know, they they have the beautiful <laughs> they have the beautiful, you know, major league stadium, you know. It, you know, it, it, we were, you know, dogs, we're like the mutts. We have no papers, no pedigree. <laughs> you know, it, it's just us, you know, and they have an amazing marketing team. And I always tease, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep them with an iPhone. You yeah. know, <laughs> I do the social media. I put down the barricades. I help with this. So, you know, we're just a very small operation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I think are, it comes through in the event though. There is like there's soul yeah. and there's character and there's personality to the events. And I think sometimes you notice that when you go to an event like yours, where like you, you feel the energy and like the heart and soul that's gone into it. You know, it's not a machine. It's like, this is someone's time and energy and love and passion. And you feel that in the event. We're, we're yeah, we're, we're like the backyard event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we make our own trophies. <laughs> I, I will say someone asked me this year, I went to an event up in Canada and they said, Hey, like, you know, should we do prize money or not? And I said, you know, the coolest thing that I've had in gravel events is i mean prize money is prize money but prize money just disappears you spend it on something or you know mm -hmm. you put it into an account and it goes on groceries but like winning a cool prize like you know i know what you did in uh i guess both pueblo and heiko you know with the boots in pueblo and the, and the pueblo pepper in in colorado yeah. it's like that yeah. is something that you have for a lifetime you know that's something that you you hang it up or you know maybe at some point you give it to your kids or grandkids and it's it's a it becomes a trophy for them for their little race around the block in 10 years. My, I remember growing up, I used to use my dad's trophies from triathlon for our little neighborhood bike race. And it's like, uh -huh. you know, it, it lived on and brought so much more purpose than just, you know, a couple hundred dollars cash or, you know, a thousand dollars, which is a chunk of change. But you know, the, the having something tangible and physical is like, it's such, it brings back such a memory of a place in a time. And honestly, when I look at the prize money and some of the events, the person winning it, probably doesn't need it 
<laughs> where so you know i always say the prize money in our situation in our events goes to the fire department because we don't have prize money but you know the usually the folks who are, are winning are at these gravel events they have sponsorships they have bikes they have this they have that and you know a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred whatever it is i think makes a greater impact being given to the volunteer fire department uh and that's one of the reasons, again, why I, I don't have prize money. And, and I, I know it keeps some pros from coming. But, you know, again, I, I want to recapture what I found gravel to be when I started, you know, five years ago or six years ago, whatever that was. And, and I want to I want to keep that. I want to keep the fun aspect of it. I, I Yes, I want a lots of racing and the best racers. But I also, you know, want to I don't want to lose the fun side of it. I, I don't want my event to be one in which. Folks are bickering over who stopped and who didn't stop, and you know I, I don't want to hear those sorts those sorts of stories in in the cycling media or anything like that. You know I I, I wanted to stay a backyard event. I wanted to be this. You know I I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of a control freak, so you know I want to set up the barricades and I want to put them down and I want to put up the flags and I wanted to because you know in my mind I think I can put up flags better than anybody else can, but. Again, I also enjoy it. I enjoy labor, you know, manual labor. I enjoy you know, the physical side of the event. I, you know, Jose and I, my that works at my ranch in Texas, you know, we spent probably a month and a half making the trophies together. And, you know, he went to Heiko this year for the first time, and I brought him with me to Pueblo. And he's from El Salvador, and he had never been anywhere other than you know El Salvador and 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 in, in Texas, and he's just like looking around like at these mountains and, and this landscape and he had the greatest time ever. Yeah. So now, yeah, we're going to big sugar with the 10 Dan family uh, this week. And he's like, Hey, Fabian, can I go with you? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. To Arkansas. I'm like, let's go to Arkansas. Yeah. yeah well, I <laughs> so, mean, yeah. there, I mean, there you have it. I mean, gravel locos is keeping, keeping gravel cool. And you know, it's awesome what you do. I will definitely be back at, um, Heiko next year, most likely be back in Pueblo next year because it was an awesome event. And um, I know you got to got to run to go pick up Ten Dam at the airport. And and Fabian, I really appreciate everything you've done for for myself and putting these events together, but also for the gravel community and coming to it from a perspective that's unique, that's yours, and that you're kind of staying truthful to what you loved about this type of riding and these type of events and. Yeah, I know they'll be successful because when you do something for the right reasons with the right purpose, then, you know, they just continue to to blossom and bloom. Oh, and you got to bring Gretchen and Ingrid next year again, though. They will they will be there. Yes, we I think Ingrid <laughs> might be uh, big enough next year to go to the uh, Billy the Kid Museum down in Heiko, which yeah. is a little bit small this year to go check it out. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And really, again, and thank you for helping us get the word out for Gravel Locos and, and, and posting about it and sharing it with others. You know, that's how the event has grown. And it has grown as a result of yourself and Ted and Lawrence and, and uh, Allison and Jess and all, and Pete and all these folks that came to my aid when nobody else would. Uh, and really that means a lot to me. And that's something that, that I don't forget is that you all saw that I was trying to do something to help these volunteer fire departments, you yourself as a volunteer fire department, you understand it firsthand. But uh, again, if it weren't for you all, you know, came to my aid and helped me get the word out, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we've done for these departments. You know, we, we, we have never been able to, you know, get the fire truck last year or 
expand the station this year or, or the financial help we're giving Pueblo. So thank you. Absolutely. And um, yeah, enjoy Lawrence. Take, uh, show him the, show him and his kids, the true Texas, Texas experience. Yes, sir. (laughs) All right, brother. Thank you. Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and my chat with Fabian. Fascinating to hear how different people have come to this space, how they found gravel cycling, what they think about gravel cycling, and where they think gravel cycling is going. We are definitely in a transitional phase, and a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions, views, and outlooks, and it's great to hear from Fabian, someone who doesn't necessarily come from the world of cycling like myself or others and bringing their own spin and flair to the sport. I think that's what makes it so beautiful and so unique. If any of you listeners are interested in attending Fabian's events next year, you can head to gravelocos.bike. The event in Heiko, Texas is on May 20th and the event in Pueblo, Colorado is September 30th. Be sure to go check those out. I'll definitely be back there. And until next time, folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you back here next time on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.